right. Um, first of all, welcome everyone. Thank you for coming tonight. Uh, my name is Matt Classy. I work here at the galleries at Moore. Welcome everyone. Uh, the exhibition space turned into a performance space along with all of the artworks on the periphery here are a part of an exhibition series, performance series called Body Works. Uh, Body Works features Philadelphia artists and groups that uh, use their bodies in contemporary performance uh, to create new spaces for exchange, new spaces for representation, uh, new spaces for uh, civic dialogue. Uh, we have a whole calendar of amazing events coming up between now and December. Uh, I suggest you take one of these posters that's at the front desk or uh, go to our website to find out uh, about those events. Uh, in addition to all the Body Works events, we have a whole other calendar of partner events, which includes events like the one you are at tonight. Um, those are also, again, listed on uh, the galleries at more.org. Um, and, oh, I forgot the last. If you really want to stay in touch uh, with the galleries at more, uh, you can sign up for our email address and you'll get all the So, tonight, um, I am really excited to moderate this conversation. Uh, this conversation is happening in conjunction, which I imagine most of you know, the uh, New Art Writing Challenge, which is a challenge to collect and amplify all of the different art writing voices that are currently happening in Philadelphia. Uh, the deadline for submission is October 20th. Um, and you can find out all the information about the contest, the rules, what to do, what not to do at the uh, art blog. Um, so to get started tonight, I would like to introduce our esteemed panelists. Uh, next to me here is Alex Bunka. That's right. Alex is a Baltimore-based artist, writer, and iPhone user. A Michigan native, she graduated from the prestigious Interlochen Arts Academy in 2013 and moved to Baltimore to study at the Maryland Institute College of Art, that's Micah, uh, where she graduated with a BFA in 2017. Uh, since graduating from Micah, Umka has worked at Be More Art as the manager of social media and development. She created an iPhone art review and helped release Be More Art's print journal issue for community. Umka's own practice explores the intersection of fine art, celebrity, and pop culture, and contemporary means of image making. Uh, her work has been shown IRL throughout the country. That's in real life. <laughs> For maybe not some uh, tech-savvy people. Her work has been shown IRL throughout the country, including Baltimore, New York, Miami, and Houston, and of course on the internet. Uh, you can follow her on all of her Instagram accounts at A-F-O-E-H-M-K-E, uh, and at iPhone Art Review and at Be More Art. Alex, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> uh, next, Alex, we have Catherine Rush. Catherine Rush is a poet, performer, organizer, currently based in the Philadelphia area. 
uh, fresh from Atlanta, Georgia. Rush has previously written for Burnaway, Arts ATL, The Goat Farms Medium, and Wussy Mag. Rush's work develops primarily from the themes of madness, alienation, trauma, identity, community, and lovingly pursuing positive alternatives within and against the atmosphere of destructive machinery. Catherine, welcome. Uh, and at the far end here is Carlos Roa. Uh, Carlos is a creator, writer, and performer, a proud alumni of the Headlong Performance Institute and Drexel University. Uh, his work expresses interest in childlike revelry, in performance, and cultural outsiders. He has worked with the Wilma Theater, the Philadelphia's Art, Philadelphia Artist Collective, and the Commonwealth Classic Theater. Previous writing credits include From Behemoth, It Lurks, which was created in collaboration with the Philadelphia director Andrina Mackey, and Adian Mountains, which premiered at Talier Puerto Aquino and received residency support from the Fringe Arts Camp Fringe program. Coming up next for Carlos is the assistant directing with Blanca Zizka in the, William, in the Wilma's production of Passage by Christopher Chen. Carlos, welcome to you. Uh, I also want to welcome uh, not only our audience, but everyone listening online through TGMR and uh, all those who will be listening in the future podcast. So first, let's give a round of applause for our team panelists. Hello, welcome. Yes, yes, for each other too. Um, the first question I want to pose to uh, each of you, and I want to hear each of you answer this individually, is, um, and I think this really helps me understand my own art writing practice and helps other people understand their art writing practice, is uh, I want to hear your each personal trajectory, your story that has led you to art writing, and uh, now that you're here, what keeps you art writing? Um, Alex, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, so I started because I actually took an art criticism course in college. Um, and the founding editor of Be More Art, Kara Ober, was one of the guest speakers in that class. So I started um, interning with her about eight months after I met her. Um, but we quickly realized that I hate actually, like, posting content. I don't like writing stories or anything like that. So it took us about another year or so, so probably just until I started iPhone Art Review in August to kind of figure out a way that I like writing. And so iPhone Art Review, for people who don't know, is um, an, Insta an Instagram account that you can direct message or DM an image of your work to, and then it will send you back a review, it being me and um, Kara, who actually <laughs> edits it. So it's actually a person sitting there writing it. It's not like an artist statement generator thing. So yeah, that's my story of how it sort of got what? So what keeps you writing, like, in the day-to-day, -day, the trenches? Like, what is the... So my trenches are the internet, which <laughs> is a lot. Um, I think what keeps me there is I'm just kind of fascinated with, uh, like, the culture of commenting on things on different platforms and um, looking at kind of what people view as artwork to send to us or... Sometimes people send photos that really just look like they're from their account, and so sort of are they trying to sort of troll us? 
or do they really view themselves as sort of this aestheticized art object and navigating that? Um, so I really like thinking about that while I'm direct messaging reviews. Excellent. Thank you. Catherine. Ooh, so um, I was an English major and um, was always involved in the arts and music and experimental scenes in Athens, Georgia, and then Atlanta, Georgia. Um, but I actually started doing art writing, first with dance writing, when I took a movement class from a choreographer and dancer named Eric Thurman. Um, and it was totally life-changing. And it was at a, at a point in my life when I was feeling really heartbroken and really disconnected from my body and uh, dissociating from reality in this way that uh, taking that class helped ground me in a kind of revolutionary sense. And uh, while that was going on, he was teaching the class to raise money to um, put on his largest solo production to date, which was called Ripple and was about the echo of narcissism and the, the myth of echo and narcissist which was very like pertinent to what I was personally going through and working out right at that moment. And nobody wrote about it, and I went to see it, and I was waiting for the reviews, and I thought, well, I, I can write. I should write about this. Um, so I did, and um, seeing how it affected his life and um, the sort of excitement and eagerness that it sparked for other dancers in the community that then wanted me to come to their shows made me realize like, how much writing keys into the lifeblood of the arts community because it's most people can't do both for themselves um, and that's what keeps me going too is I guess connecting I, I feel like I'm not a traditional arts writer in that I see it as a part of my own arts practice as well and um, it's a form of representation and translation and also kind of alchemy because I'm trying to Stir, stir that pot a little bit too in the um, written monuments we're leaving to their work. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, um, so I kind of, I studied theater and playwriting um, as an undergrad and a lot of the work that I had done at that time and sort of a little bit after that was dramaturgy. And I think dramaturgy is often hard to explain to people outside of the realm of performance. I think there's a lot of assumptions about dramaturgy being like the research department of like um, of sort of like a sort of like a theater collaborative team, and what it actually is is the use of that research to um, supplement the artistic uh, vision of a project. Um, and so I sort of did a lot of that kind of work for a while in the Philly theater scene, and there came a point where um, I became less and less interested in that form of art writing and that kind of um, that kind of way of interacting with projects, mainly, I mean, for several reasons, one of which was um, the realization that I'm not actually a bona fide dramaturg. I think there's some people who I think are far more invested in it than I was, but also the realization that um, it's not the most well-paying thing you can be doing in the theater. So um, in that way, I sort of distanced myself from that sort of realm. And eventually what I think I sort of became more invested in, which I think I sort of now use social media as a platform to write about was um, inclusion in art settings and inclusion in the way that um, very rarely um, are artists of color ever elevated um, 
in you know sort of what is often a, a white run institution, these white white run um, organizations. And eventually, I kept writing about these things on social media, on various platforms, and I now am sort of interested in occupying that realm and that conversation and sort of giving what I can to contribute to that. Great. Thank you each for sharing. Um, Carlos, I wanted to um, talk about what you said about there at the end, and I want to hear maybe each of your specific thoughts about... Um, There's like a slight volume issue. Uh -huh. Is there anyone with any of the voices? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, uh, Lonnie. Let's move those a little bit closer. And then... Yes, yes, yes. More dramatics. Oh, I'll just bring it to up here. <laughs> said there was uh, who are we art writing for, right? Um, and specifically uh, what sort of um, what purpose does art writing have in uh, the uh, local communities? What sort of purpose does it have um, in larger communities? Uh, we talked a little bit about is all art writing local? Or is it, does it make sense that you can have regional art writing? Uh, does any of you want to address, start there? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, speaking for theater at least, I mean, it almost feels a little bit like sort of, um, uh, what's it called, the Ouroboros, the snake eating its own tail. At least um, in the scene that I occupy, I often find that um, because a lot of the work that's being presented is being made by a lot of the same people, therefore a lot of the critics who come in to sort of see these shows are often very sort of the same people. So that's sort of something that I began to observe about um, sort of a lot of um, the way that reviews are written, the way that reviews are sort of, um, the ways that shows are interpreted as well. Um, I mean, there was a lot of hubbub about um, the New York Times and the way that uh, these two um, female playwrights, Paula Vogel um, and then uh, Lynn Nottage, who were sort of felt, they, uh, they really didn't feel like they were being represented fairly. Um, and, and so I think the same is very true, I think, of Philly theater. I think oftentimes, um, I think I can only think of like three critics um, who really um, were women who really write very frequently. Um, and then in response, you have certain websites like uh, Bonnelly Reviews, um, which is, which I now um, am a part of, which um, is organized um, entirely by women and people of color who are also artists who um, write reviews for um, the local shows happening in this scene. So, I think the response, I, I love this response of Bonnelly Reviews as something to, um, to sort of, it almost, well one, it's great because it's artists, right, who are writing, um, who are writing these reviews, 
I think there's an assumption that um, in order to be a critic, you have to sort of go through this, everybody has to go through the same track, um, that they're sort of, I mean, the assumption is that you go to a Yale or a Columbia or something, or you study art criticism and that is how you become an art critic. But what's great about a website like Bonnelly is that um, they're all artists, and some, of, some are dramaturgs, some are playwrights, some are directors, some are dividers. They all do different things, but um, I think that's one way that I think um, art writing is interested in changing itself. I think it's also really important what she said about um, this idea of training art critics, because at least for visual arts, there are only like 10 like certified art critic full-time positions in the world. It's actually a very, very, very small number um, of people. So it's, it's interesting to see all of these programs who are creating um, and training all these art critics for these jobs that like ostensibly don't exist. Um, and it's also interesting to think about the tone. So at Be More Art, we try really hard to have writing that's interesting and engaging and kind of like smart writing, but also that's accessible to people who don't know art speak and art jargon and aren't sort of writing to hear their own thoughts. They're only writing for a sort of like art intellectual community because I think that there are sort of forums and publications for that um, but we're really interested in being accessible to someone who is just starting out in the Baltimore art scene and that could be um, someone from out of town or it could be someone that lives in the city that's just not really engaged with it. Um. Do you think when you're, or maybe this is a question for you, Tony, when you're each art writing, right, either about a specific um, topic or art piece, um, do you have an audience in mind or do you keep it open to like anyone can be reading this? Is that, is your audience coming to play when you're art writing? Again, like the, the interaction between what is the purpose and what is the audience for these spheres of art writing? I would say for me, um, the number one reader I'm thinking about when I'm writing a piece is the, the artist question or the performers. Um, I want them to feel heard <laughs> um, and uh, it's aimed to really understand what they're presenting and then, like I said before, translate it to maybe like uh, someone's grandmother. I mean, and is that, is that for you the quintessential purpose of this art writing is to sort of give a new perspective or translation on an art piece or is it um, is it something more specific for that artist? I definitely am not super interested in writing negative reviews. Um, Andy Warhol had a quote that was, I don't read my reviews, I weigh them. And I feel like when you're taking the time to write about something that someone has created, it does make a huge difference who you're writing about and what kind of energy you're putting into it. And it is kind of, um, you know, it's, I also do have a marketing background too, and it's a kind of marketing. Um, and you want to, for me, I, I want to give that artist as faithful a translation of the experience of their work as I can offer to them. Um, 
and again, I don't think it's really worth writing too much about um, art that you don't think is doing something to change the world for the better. Alex or Carlos, do you have a, I mean, do you agree with that's the reason for art writing or what, when you think about your audience when you're art writing, is that something? Pers personally, I don't think about my audience as much as I think about the platform and the piece itself. So for me, if I'm doing iPhone art reviews, that's on Instagram. That has a much kind of more casual tone to it. I definitely use um, shorthand to the way that um, you would with texting a friend. So I kind of think about it as texting a friend. Um, but I also do a lot of writing about pop culture, and that actually tends to take the most uh, sort of a critical academic tone. Um, I do a lot of writing about Kim Kardashian, and I think that it's really necessary to kind of take a critical tone with Kim Kardashian so that people sort of start thinking about her in a more critical way. Um, I, I personally don't mind writing negative reviews. If I don't think a work is interesting, if I don't think it's engaging, if I have a hard time um, understanding what it is, I will write a negative review. For iPhone art review, if you send a picture of work that I can't tell what the art object is, I'm going to tell you that. It's going to be critical. And I also think that part of the reason for that is if everything kind of has a positive review, um, they don't mean as much. So I really try to be honest, but I also try to do it um, with, with construction. I don't think it's it's necessary or good or helpful for anyone to have a negative review for the sake of putting out a negative review without kind of adding any sort of constructive feedback. Just following up with that, so like a, a critical, a more critical review, are you, are you thinking about, I wanna give this criticism back to the artist or I wanna give it so that other people can see it, de it, it depends on the subject. So um, iPhone art review, it's a little bit more for the, I think, for whoever I'm direct messaging. Um, for other things that I write where um, it's a little bit more, I think, for a more public, general audience, um, I don't quite consider an audience actually that much. I really think about the subject and what's most honest to the subject um, and really thinking about how can I look at this in a, in a way that someone hasn't looked at it before, but also how can I then take that analysis and sort of put it back or relate it back to the way in the field or the area or the arena in which we would normally find the subject. Uh, this leads me to one of the things that I, I really want to hear about hear all of you talk about, which is, um, and specifically in context of the iPhone art review, which is uh, talking about like who are audiences and then of course, you know, reaching different or broader audiences. Um, in that movement, I could see a lot of idea of, you know, more popular art writing, right? Or more democratic art writing. Uh, and then utilizing, make, uh, utilizing tools or strategies or tactics to that to that like popularization that 
democraticization, is that a word? Democratization, maybe not. Yeah, um, you know, like using popular formats or different formats like Instagram, like um, you know, either shorter reviews or um, even just online content. Um, my my general question is, um, what are the benefits for those? I mean, there are obvious benefits, right, for making art writing more accessible to people. Um, and then adapting the means and tactics for accessibility. Uh, and then I want to tack on the other question, which is, are there any drawbacks, right? Like, uh, I don't want to be the old man, like, oh, it's not an art review if it's on Instagram. Like, but what, what, is there a level of pushback there? Is there something to, like, be said for old traditional means of art writing? There could not be. I could be, like, the elitist art writer here, but I want to hear like if there's in your mind how that balance works, both positive and negative. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, um, I think so sort of going back to what I was saying about like trying to make these really um, ardent Reviews when you're taking the time to write like a traditional full review, you being just the, my personal approach. Um, but if you take like the logic of a meme, for example, um, you still you have really even more potential reach and um, absolutely like the amount of, of text or information that you could put on. Say, if I took a picture of this uh, Philadelphia's chewed up and spit out um, candy costume and had some sort of snippy comment on there one way or the other, like, yeah, absolutely, that could reach more people and give a boost for the better or worse to the artist um, uh, that a 500 to 800-word piece just, like, couldn't get, because, I mean, I don't really know, it's hard for me to get um, a lot of people in my life to even read the reviews I write, so, um, absolutely, I think it carries a lot of possibility and potential, but just as people are, in general, I think more afraid to read. Um, at least the people that I know, I feel like it's easy to intimidate people even talking too much about things you might be reading if you are an avid reader. Um, and yeah, it is a more democratic option to have this sort of instantaneous clickbait kind of um, dialogue, but also, as in anything else, like life isn't instant and this is kind of maybe tying in more to our overall traumatized atmosphere of, of quick solutions. Um, I mean, I think there's also a lot to say about, like, the different, different formats. We're talking a lot about platforms, right? Instagram and such. But also just the way that text informs the, um, the criticism, I think, is something that's interesting. Um, with Bonnerly in particular, they like to do a, um, an interview, the two people who saw the show interview each other and then talk about their experience of the show. And in essence, it becomes two reviews because then um, like one person might feel very differently about a moment or something. But also, um, I mean, seeing the way that certain reviews have been written in zines, because I've certainly seen um, po uh, poems that feel like reviews and then, um, and then, you know, this interview format, all these different ways of, um, of that reviews are made, I think, are kind of um, a shift for the better in that way. Because I think, um, 
it's just, I mean, um, there are many different ways to write a review. There are many different ways um, that you can write these things that which then make it easier for anybody can, to read it. Like, there's a type, there's a review out there for everyone. And I think um, the, the, it's nice to have all these different platforms. So Instagram or these interview style things or um, these poems, um, these things that play with the text of the interview can be really, I mean, it's um, different strokes for different books, <laughs> which is nice. And I also think that going off of that, it's really important to match the content with the platform. So Be More Art, there's the Instagram account, we publish um, about three times a week online, and then we also have a print journal that's published twice a year, and none of them have the same content. Um, our print journal, um, a lot of the content's evergreen, so it needs to last for about six months. So it's very different. They tend to be a lot longer. Sometimes writers um, or people featured actually get frustrated that we will not publish it online um, because they want to send it to other people. And we feel it's very important to sort of keep those things separate. Um, but they all, I think that the print and the online tend to have uh, more similar audiences demographically, but um, the Instagram account definitely has a lot younger people. Um, a lot of the people that submit to it are either um, in college or just got out. Um, so it's really, it's really different to sort of see how the different platforms reach different audiences. Um, but I also think that right now, the world has a very, very interesting visual culture. And I think that artists and art writers and art historians have some of the best language and the best tools to address that visual culture. So I think it's not only about figuring out what platform and what way to sort of do arts writing, but also thinking about the subject and how do you expand what an art subject can be. Um, and how do you do that consciously and responsibly to really meet that meet that subject where they are, um, and also apply this 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 artistic lens, at least the writing lens, to to really address it. I think that's a. I want to. I want to park that. <laughs> Come back to it because uh, I want to go back to something. Uh, Catherine said that made me think about like a meme as an art review, and I just want to tease this out a little bit further to a point where, and this is a question that I come up, I think about all the time. It's like, especially in a culture, in our a, again like a digital proliferation culture, um, at what point does the the art review, the art writing, just become a sort of um, publicity or marketing for? the art thing that it's or for the artist and like and where do you I mean that line has always existed but I'm asking especially now in like a time where it's just like here's my link of my art review like what where do you find that line where do you just you know where does that line get drawn for for you or for any of you yeah uh, that's a good question I guess um I would think of marketing an art show as like helping, like I, I, I co-ran um, a artist work live 
space in Midtown Atlanta that was also a venue and Airbnb with six rooms. We all like lived together and worked together and was constantly helping fellow artists with things like um, artist statements and and um, press releases and things like that. I feel like that's more in the domain of marketing. Um, an art review in so much that I'm saying this is what I thought about this piece or this show or this performance. Um, I don't know. I, again, though, I don't have a huge problem with, um, and this is something I've written about, uh, being seen as a cheerleader for an artist also. But um, so long as it's sincere. Carlos, <laughs> do you? Yeah, I definitely think like the relate the critic's relationship to the artist matters, and I think um, oftentimes the frustration that I felt about um, critics was that um, often I found that they were in bed with the artist in some way. They would some often would like stay for the after party or something like that, which feels weird to me. And I say this as someone who has received like positive reviews. Like I still have this gripe about like the way that the interaction happened. And um, some of the most, some of the critics that I respect the most are the ones who are not afraid to dish it out to me, like are not afraid to tell me, like write this overwhelmingly negative review of the work. Because on one hand, they could be wrong, and sometimes, you know, they could have been abjectly wrong about something. But on the other, like at least I know that this, that there, that there isn't like a conflict of interest between the critic and the artist. And which isn't to say that I think like you should have to write um, this overwhelmingly negative review in order for me to like respect you as a critic, but to some um, but to some extent I think like having the honesty necessary to um, just like for example I had a great review um, for a show that I did where very clearly like she got it she understood what you know the show was about like from start to finish. And at the end, she wrote a little thing that was like, oh, he seemed a little flustered in this performance. And it seemed like the material was getting away from him. And I love that. Like, I love that, like, you know, she got it, but also there was room for her to be objective. And I think I respected her so much more as a critic because of that. I'd like to know Kara Walker's opinion of this question right now, personally. Um, I don't know if you all are familiar with Kara Walker, but... She's an artist. She's like black female artist, like very big name. Um, she has a show up in this gallery in New York, and she wrote this whole. So her titles are always just like paragraphs. So I don't remember what this title is, but she also wrote this um, press release to go with it, which is basically like I'm tired of being sort of only seen as like this black female artist. Um, and there's been a lot of controversy around that. A lot of people for years have said that, you know, her work, because she writes about sort of the history of, of African Americans and black people in the country. And so uh, her work kind of begs that and like begs for people to see her that way. So that's been a review of her for a while. But there's this really funny hyper allergic article and the title of it was something along the lines of, like, Kara Walker, if you're tired, please sit down. Like someone else will stand in your place. Um, and I saw the show, and it's like it's fine. Like if you've seen, like if you've seen her work, it's basically like her work except on a canvas instead of a silhouette with some like ink. It's the show 
and she's very conscious of this, I think. The show is not the exhibition, it's really the title, it's really the press release, and she's a really smart person and knew that, and knew she was going to get all this controversy when she sent it out and actually addressed that controversy in the press release and in the title. Um, so I really think that, like, it depends <laughs> to your question. <laughs> like, like, I like that answer. <laughs> like, you know, uh, sort of like where where the line is sort of between art writing and artwork and who defines it and who situates it. Um, I think for me, as long as the people that are involved in whatever specific dialogue of the artist or the artwork that you're addressing, as long as people are kind of aware of, of kind of where the dialogue is situated in that specific instance and the perspective that they're taking on it, I tend to be fine. I tend to not to dislike things that aren't really self-aware of that. Um, so I think for me, it's really just, it, it, it looks at what the work and what the artist has demanded. So now I, I want to take, take the car out of the parking lot. Uh, and this, we've already been talking about this, which is the ability uh, for art writing to um, expand beyond uh, the traditional forms of art writing. You're saying, like, there's a, we have a really interesting, complex, beautiful visual culture right now. How come art writing doesn't reflect that visual art writing culture? And this is something I think... Uh, Catherine write about um, how, uh, for lots of reasons, poets have always been uh, art critics, right? Um, something in my mind about, you know, art is supposed to capture the inexpressible or the inarticulable, right? Then how can, like, writing capture something about that thing that is, which is inexpressible, right? Uh, and it seems like that tool, just like straight, uh, Historic writing or the traditional ways of writing just seems like such a, like a, you know, just like a very solid, non-versatile peg for a hole that takes on lots of different shapes and forms, right? Um, so I'm wondering, like, what for each of you, like, how does, how should and can art writing be weird? Should be expressive? Should be really different uh, to fit or address? the art that it's trying to look at. Uh, I've been very fortunate with the handful of editors that I've worked with that they've let me, in general, get, get pretty weird with language um, and sort of lean into it a little bit more and toss in some poetic absurdities, which have been, I think, ultimately, um, although some editors have sort of argued with me about how much sense the things I said actually made. Um, more often, those were the moments that the artists um, did appreciate more as this feeling of like, oh, yes, that's what I was trying to show. Like, you saw that. Or, wow, I really have no clue how you got that, but that's an inspiring response, you know, because it should be this exchange. And also, to, to jump back, uh, I don't mean I'm against saying negative things in art reviews, only that it's not worth writing the time Devoting the time to write an entire review about something you just totally hate. I don't know if that answers. <laughs> 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 
Uh, but absolutely, use poetry, use performance art, use video. I would love to see uh, an art review TV show, like a, a YouTube channel. Yeah, where do you know Glass Tire? I don't, but I have a handheld video camera. <laughs> no, I think I think I'm phone. I'm pretty sure it's Glass Tire. I always forget the name, but it's based out of Houston, and it's just these two women, and every week they like. It's like they're side-by-side -side videos, and they like review shows, and it's like five minutes long, and it's really good. I'm personally soliciting Chelsea Handler and Kris Jenner to like make an art reality show talk show, so if anyone out there has connections, please DM yeah, me. <laughs> what about like live art reviews, picture-in-picture -picture, uh, response videos of uh, art shows as they're happening? Because, um, you know, the biggest competition of live arts events is video games, so how do we get into people's brains with this worm that, like, wait a minute, there's something even better than TV, right? All these people are playing video games right now. Thank you for putting, yeah. putting the controllers down. Um, yeah, so how do we, we can be creative to compete with that kind of um, culture and to ultimately, like, seduce people away from those behaviors sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, and this maybe gets into my like final sort of questions about because um, I know all of you have art practices, right? Um, maybe just talking a little bit about how the art practice and the writing practice. I told, I promised them I would do this. <laughs> this motion. This is the best way I can explain it, right? For those of you who can't see, I'm making a wiggle move with my hands. How does the art practice inform the writing practice, vice versa? Um, in, and specifically in, I think if you want to zoom in and talk about how this happens at the individual level, right? And then if you want to zoom out and think about how this happens at the, how does an art culture and an art writing culture affect each other on bigger scales, um, you know, within a city, within a region, things like that. Um, so for the first part of it, I think like, so a lot of the work that I make um, is super collaborative, like super duper collaborative, like even if it's a solo piece, it's trying very hard not to be about me. And so I think um, the, oftentimes I start with the writing in that kind of process, and it's really a matter of just writing some kind of like performance manifesto for this kind of project that is meant to really articulate what I'm trying to do or what I'm actually interested in. And that's, in that way I think the writing is like a springboard for the actual experimentation to happen. Because, um, I mean, I think with um, my last project I just like, had to write this down. I had to write down some kind of outline, some kind of some sense of um, ideas of things to try, and then present this to the rest of the team in order for it to feel um, as if their voices were important and that, as if their voices mattered. So in that way, I think my approach to art writing and how it pertains to what I do is um, both of one of clarification, but also of giving, opening a door to those collaborators to really let them feel like, you know, it's not about me. And I think um, that's what I'm used to doing, you know, devising from, um, as a playwright, as a, as a writer, 
And then the second part of this um, zooming out thing, I think, in, can you repeat that? <laughs> so I, if we're talking about the interplay between art making and art writing, uh -huh. uh, in a scene like Philadelphia or New York or Baltimore or Atlanta, like how does the art writing scene or culture uh, affect the art making scene? Is there a connection between those two? Uh, or uh, are they just completely separate and one is just examining the other one? Well, definitely I think it's still, I mean, I, I think I get noticed far more when I get a review. I mean, I think it still does have that power. I definitely think um, I had so many people, I've had so many people come up to me and say, oh, I read this review, da 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 Like, you know, and the review becomes a conversation between me and other artists. So I think in speaking locally, that's what happens to me after a review is written. Um, and then as far as, I mean, only this is such a superficial maybe thing to say, but I think um, then the, the review is still a resource that I can sort of um, use to present to people who are interested in me. And then I take, and then I take the review, even if it's like a mixed review, um, you know, anytime no one knows about me, that review is still useful. That review is, you know, here's what this person had to say. Um, but I mean, yeah. Do you ever incorporate, like if you get a review and they say something, do you incorporate that into the next project? Is, it, is there a give and take like that ever? I mean, I think every project is different. I think every, I mean, I think it depends. I mean, I think... I have a different idea, and then, and therefore, that 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 feedback might not be relevant anymore because it's now I'm doing this different thing. The aesthetic is very different now. The collaborative team is very different now. So I think in that way, I have to sort of like compartmentalize like what is how does this feedback relate? Like for example, going back to this thing that how they said I was flustered. That is something that's useful for me to think about in the future. What can I do as a performer to not be flustered again? So that is, in this way, like, finding, really parsing through it to identify, like, is this useful for me in this moment, or is this going to be useful for me to think about in the future? So that's sort of the way that it informs me, at least. Um, so I think that... I think I have a lot of feelings about this question. I also have yet to say this, but I think that there are very different forms of art writing. So I think that there are forms of art writing that are sort of like what Be More Art does, or what Art Blog does, or kind of Art Up City that are really uh, art criticism in the moment. And then I think that there is another kind of art writing which um, is more of what art historians do, and not saying that art historians and art critics can't overlap, but I definitely think that um, I, I definitely think that there, in some instances, needs to be there needs to be a distinction made between uh, art historical writing and uh, sort of art writing, even if there's art historical writing about contemporary art. Um, so I think that's one thing. I think globally, for an entire field, it's extremely necessary um, to have that to really. Um, have art writing to have a different perspective, an outside perspective, a way to sort of almost keep things in check. Um, I read a lot, I study a lot of um, self-design and just design in general, and it's
it's really interesting to see kind of how design fields grow like weeds because there's only now really becoming um, design history to really provide that like critical pushback to these fields that are expanding at an exponential rate. Like they're now starting to call people that do biomedical engineering for organs, organ designers. Like that's some language that I've been seeing recently, which is really astounding. So I think that, um, I think that um, globally they're really, really necessary. And I don't think it's, it's necessary for all individual writers to also have arts practices, but I think that um, like Andrea Frazier does a really, really good job of like blending them all together and really making um, writing scripts for her performances and all of these um, different things. In terms of a local sense, I think that um, that exactly, you know, as you were saying, that it's really it's really good to have as documentation. So Be More Art started about ten and a half years ago, and one of the reasons Kara Ober, our founding editor, did it is because no one was writing about it. And so it's sort of like these shows happened, and Baltimore has a, a very big DIY sort of pop-up gallery, galleries that last for a couple years sort of culture. And sometimes there'd be amazing shows, and there's no documentation that they happen. So I think it is incredibly important for local arts writers to sort of document the scene and be historians in that regard. But I think that sometimes when you write too much locally, it, it can be really challenging because, I mean, you're running into these people all the time, and so you really have to be careful about what you're saying and being critical, but being respectful um, in that regard. And then personally, so I guess I'm going in opposite order. Um, I feel like they're one and the same for me. Like since graduating from school, I was trained as a sculptor. I really hated moving sculptures and like hated buying materials. Um, so <laughs> like, it was just like too expensive. I'm so over it. So basically now all I do is post on my Instagram account, um, which is mainly like weird text message conversations that I have with people and really kind of about thinking about, uh, about my life and relationships solely mediated through an iPhone and like what that looks like. Um, so for me, writing is very important. Like I have very specific caption formats that I use and very specific hashtag formats. Um, or even for iPhone art review, which for me conceptually, I, I, I think of as a sort of art project overall, um, that they're, they're one and the same. Or for um, a lot of the zines that I make, it's really, um, the writing comes first, so I get an idea and a subject and I write about it, and then I take this piece of writing and think about like what's the best way to sort of present this to the world? Is it submitting it to like Grey Room or Eflux or publishing on Be More Art? Is Be More Art's audience the right audience for it? Or do I make a zine? Do I not? So um, I don't personally differentiate between them for my own practice, but I think that it's necessary that there are people that do differentiate between them. Um, I'll say a lot of my personal arts um, artwork is, has been as anonymous and underground as possible. Um, there's this Virginia quote, Virginia Woolf quote about uh, avoiding the limelight that paralyzes the free action of the senses, which maybe seems like an ironic thing for <laughs> someone at an arts, arts writing panel to say, but, um, but for me, 
it, it, at this point in my life, it helps me keep it fresh with myself. But uh, absolutely, um, arts writing in Atlanta, for example, there are several amazing arts writers, but there just aren't enough, and there's just not, and there aren't enough people writing about art. Um, so. Yes, it can be a conflict of interest to write about people that you know, things that um, people that you have this relationship with. But also, it is sort of a uh, a tenet of like organized white supremacy that that there is a, such a thing as objectivity. And I think if you can reveal your relationship with with anyone you might be writing about, um, anything we can do to help each other um, promote work that you're seeing that is that is worthwhile that isn't. Uh, getting represented um, is a good thing and it leads to people creating more things and people creating different things because you know what you touch changes you and the people that touch you change you and for me uh, again uh, uh, when I write an art review I approach it in the same way I would approach um, writing a poem or creating a performance art piece or a video where I give myself certain obstructions and then I try to kind of enter into this fugue state and fill that space. Um, and then you're left with what you have and you try to edit it to something that makes sense. Kind of rambling. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Um, I think we're at the time where if there's any questions from people in the audience. Yeah, wait, here. You're not at this company bar. Yes, sir. Uh, thanks for coming out. I really appreciate it. Um, I was wondering, uh, what do you think is the most accessible platform for people in certain art The most accessible platform for art reviews right now? very demographically based. I think it completely depends on what demographic you are trying to reach. Um, I, I think that it's, the internet's nice and Instagram's nice because it's, I mean, Instagram's free, you have to make an account to read a lot of stuff about the internet. I mean, a lot of people can just see it because it's the internet, but um, like, Be More Art has print journals, and people respond more positively to print right now of all demographics than they do to our online content, really, because they like feeling it, they like holding it, like, it, it, it feels pretty. Um, but we print, like, 2,500 copies, and you have to have a physical copy to see it, so it becomes really inaccessible in that regard. Um, but I think it really depends Um, I definitely think, I'm definitely very curious about something that was said earlier in the discussion about the notion of a meme as a review, and also Twitter as a platform for reviews. I don't know if this is like, this is just a surface level thing, but the idea of like the brevity of something being your way into the review is something that I think is in, an interesting concept. And I'm certain there are Twitter um, accounts dedicated to reviews. And I think um, I would be interested to see um, if that is like the, the highest level of um, accessibility. Um, I mean, for one thing, not everyone has access to 
to a phone, I guess, or to social media. But that's something just off the top of my head in response to your question I would think of as very, very accessible. When I was in college, there was a bathroom in the English department, and somebody had written on the wall, Toy Story 3 was okay. Toy Story 2 was okay. <laughs> um, I think, uh, for me, I, I read the most um, art reviews online because I can sort of hoard them and, and read them when I have time, but uh, absolutely something about things you can touch and, you know, just writing something on the wall, like uh, all people react to um, different stimulus in different ways and are more tactile or not, um, but the more ways we can present um, art rating, I think, the better. What would that look like? Like a tactile? I don't know, I'm curious about that too. <laughs> because what is that, what is that experience like? I don't know, like, this is just like an open thing, but it's like something that I'm very intensely curious about. Like, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I mean, just the notion of, um, I guess, um, something you, you like feel it out, close your eyes or something. <laughs> this is very wild, but, but it's something I think um, kind of addressing like multiple ways to, to interact with an interview or uh, with a review, something you hear versus something you touch. Yeah, it's something also about accessibility that I think about, just thought about. I honestly think the best review of this past Whitney Biannual was that meme about like, it was online, it was this, this, I think it was on Instagram, and they like tagged all the curators in it, but it was like basically all these baseball fans like dodging this ball that came in, and it was like, curators of the Whitney, Jordan Wolfson, the Whitney itself. Dana Schutz. <laughs> it was honestly amazing. Thank you. You guys have touched on this, but I'm interested in your thoughts about talking to artists in connection with the music. And maybe as a part of that, Talking to artists, talking to curators. What is there good in that? Is there bad in that? I mean, I certainly think um, if an artist has something to say, <laughs> it should be brought up. And I think. Um, and then that causes the dialogue, right? The conversation, like, about it. I think one of the most positive things I've ever seen, um, an interaction between a critic and the artist, was a critic wrote this review of the show. Um, it involved a lot of nudity and a lot of um, uh, these actresses were sort of um, standing on these platforms and showing these, like, diseased parts of themselves. And the critic wrote in response, um, I actually think this is highly misogynistic and pretty terrible that this happened in the, in the middle of the performance. And actually the, art, the artist responded, hey, thank you for saying that. Thank you for telling me that. I'm so glad that, I, that, you, that somebody said this. Let's have a conversation about it. And then what proceeded after that was, um, you, know, they, you know, the artist said, you know, I learned something from this conversation. 
And I think through the act of like writing this in the review, there, you know, there was a dialogue and it was like a very healthy, productive conversation that came from a result of that. So I think if that comes um, to pass from an interaction between the artist and the critic, then yes, that should happen. I think that's great. I think we'd all be stupid to assume that critics and artists and art historians all don't pal around with each other because they do. There's no way to escape it <laughs> if you're trying to escape it. Like some of like Frank O'Hare, a really famous art critic of like the the mid 20th 20, 20th century, 20th century um, like was really good friends with all of these artists. Um, I think that I think that it's fine. I mean, I spend all my days with curators and artists and art writers, um, but I do think that it's necessary to be comfortable um, in your relationship to tell them what you think they got wrong. And I think that both parties sort of need to be open to that. And I, and I think that you can have very close relationships with people and still dislike things that they do or not agree with them um, as long as you sort of explain why. I think, well, I want to, this is a very important point that I like to, uh, is that, you know, a lot of times we think that a positive relationship only means being positive with the person, right? When, and a lot of times, like, I want my, like, my good friends, my best friends are the ones who say, like, Matt, that blazer is ugly, right? <laughs> They're looking out for you. Like, and, that, and that's the way I think about like, criticism a lot of times, right? It's like, if you're thinking about it, talking it to the artist, it's, you know, think about like, giving something to them. That criticism is something that you give to you like you would expect your good friend to have your best interest at heart and tell you when something's wrong or like when something could be better or something could be fixed and could help you grow as a person as an artist. Um. Um, one of my very best friends uh, is an artist and curator, mostly filmmaker in Atlanta, Jordi Molina, and we've curated several shows together and have helped each other with different productions and have helped each other with each other's writings. And um, one of the most important things about our relationship was absolutely that. Like at first we had to kind of grit our teeth for a while, um, actually sharing a wall for like a year and a half doing all these projects together while trying to operate this crazy house. But um, but we were really like mean to each other. You know, we told each other the truth. I would be like, what you cannot you cannot play this music during the reception. This is terrible. Is this the strokes? Is this the strokes? You know, and he would be like, Catherine, that's a terrible title for this piece. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna print this. You know, and like I'd be like, I'm so sorry, I know you already have the show, but it's all for a kid. <laughs> And, that, and, and that's what we have to, I think, hazard towards in our interactions with um, each other in these circles because we are, you know, what's the Fermi quote about, like, if we don't irritate each other, we won't be polished. Um, <laughs> if you're trying to utilize, like, collective creative genius, you have to be unafraid of uh, agitating each other and resolving issues and resolving them as quickly as possible. Can I just follow up on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, really my question is this, if I'm writing about your blazer, right, is it helpful to me to know what, 
written the bulk of it and have our ideas down or maybe working with an editor at this point and then we're discussing it. I think that's very different because it allows for us to all have our own interpretations, but I think it's really problematic if like you're going to review something and you've read like 15 reviews already, but maybe 15 is okay because you might have forgotten some of them, so maybe like don't read three reviews. I don't know. Any other questions? Yes. Um, let's see, I have a um, so I, I have a question about authority, because um, I think as our editors, even in that act of writing about someone's work that's not your own, there's like a level of authority you're assuming, you know, or that you're also somebody speaking from in order to like justify all the effort that goes into doing the writing. Um, and I think especially in, in light of all of these institutions that traditionally bestow authority on people, um, crumbling, which I very much applaud, um, I'm wondering, uh, A, like where you derive your sense of authority from, and also, um, like, are there better models of or like more authentic or something ways of, of drawing authority? So I, I, have a, I like that question a lot. And I have a, I'll maybe set off with a, an answer. So I really, I, I totally agree that like anytime an art critic or person uh, sets up uh, a review or sets up an interpretation, it does sort of uh, automatically create an authority. This is just how like, art writing has traditionally worked, right? Whether you like it or not, you become an authority on this thing. Um, and I think this also ties into your question, Michael, about, uh, well, learning more about the artist's original intentions, original context. The way I usually see it is that um, those are the two sort of authorities that get privileged a lot, right? The authority or story of the artist, what they were original intentions were, a lot of times, um, you know, you think about, like, you'll go to a museum and you're like, oh, I really love this piece. It's about, like, the Vietnam War. I'm like, no, it's about femininity. You're, you're wrong. I'm sorry, right? And that authority gets derived from uh, the artist or from an art critic, right? Uh, for me, I think that a, a big goal I would like to see in more art writing is to, an understanding that um, this writing and this criticism is coming from a point of one very specific person and the, one of many very specific outlooks, right? And that uh, the way of writing or the way that it's posited is that here's my perspective. I hope this achieves or ignites a different perspective, which is your own, and each one of those has its own validity, its own authority. And that authority is shared and then maybe in that way shared also destroyed. Does that make sense? That's what I would hope. That's not, I don't think what happens now. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess I feel like um, this is about as much authority as I have. <laughs> <laughs> Me right here. Um, and it's where I try to speak from. Um, and uh, just following my own gut, but again, yeah, absolutely, um, it's, it's good for people to disagree with what you, what, you know, what I see as being on the wall over there, um, 
may look very different from where someone else is sitting. And the more people we have looking at it in different places and talking about it, then the more clearly we can see the thing all together. Yeah, I think that, I, I agree. I also think that the way that some people have more authority than others isn't necessarily because of their opinion, but because of how many people their opinion reaches. So I think that, um, like, Roberta Smith has a lot of authority because she writes for the New York Times and everyone reads the New York Times and she has one of, like, the ten art critic roles, like, jobs. Um, but I don't necessarily think that that means her opinion is more valid or more accurate or more X, Y, and Z than, like, someone who's writing about an exhibition for their art history class that only their professor is going to read. Um, I do think that some authority also comes with age, but I think that's also perspective. So um, I'm actually speaking in two weeks at a graduate class. I have imposter syndrome about that because I just graduated from undergrad. Um, about race in the museum. And so for me, um, as a person of color, I have an authority on that that like the professor doesn't who is a white passing Latina. I don't know if she's Latina, she's Venezuelan. I don't know how she identifies, sorry. <laughs> um, but I, I have more authority on that in that regard. Um, but, you know, she's been studying art history for like a long time. So she has more of a background to pull from in terms of like the art historical canon. But I really think it comes from like life experience slash who you're actually reaching. But I think just be confident in yourself. Know that you're valid. Just put it out there in the world. Um, for me, I think authority is very tied to my um, desire to be, to think um, in to be as um, interdisciplinary as possible, which is very difficult to do because I do have a strong background in theater, and sort of now I'm sort of transitioning into more of a performance art realm. So for me to go, then go into a dance performance, like watch this dance performance, and then not be able to engage with it, I, was, I remember distinctly watching this one performance that was hella boring. <laughs> and it was like just very piecemeal kind of movement. They were like parallel to each other and they walked together in a circle and then they improvised off of each other's movements. And there was like a soundtrack playing in the background with his voice and I don't know what the voice was saying because I was too busy trying to watch his thing. And then I turned to one of my collaborators and I said, why is this so boring? And he just told me, well, you don't understand because you don't have a background in dance. You don't understand um, because it's really, it's hard for them to do what they're doing in an organic, improvisational way. And then I thought to myself, well, why do I need a background in dance in order for me to, to, to perceive, have this experience of a dance performance? And so I think um, it is important, I think, for authority to be um, tied to, well, who has the right to comment on a visual arts piece? If it's not, if you're not, if you have no experience in visual arts, I mean, is, does that sort of diminish the value of what I have to say about um, that, that whole realm? I, and so I think um, I try as best as I can to think about it from as many perspectives as possible. And even when I'm not an expert in a certain um, field, 
And I think for theater, the way that goes back to my own, the, the discipline that I'm more comfortable in, trying to think to myself, well, the movement here is very static. These people are just talking to each other from one side of the stage to the other. Wow, they could have really done more. To, and I think that's the way that dance has informed the way that I, I now see theater. That um, now I'm a little bit more bored because there's no movement, there's no action happening on the stage. And I think in that way, um, trying to think across disciplines really supplements the way now that I, I view art. So I think that uh, is a good place to end for us. I'm sure we can keep talking afterwards, but I want to, again, thank our panelists for coming tonight. And thank everyone in attending. And again, please, 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 if you're writing art about art out there, please enter the new art writing challenge. The deadline is October 20th. Thank you, everyone, for coming.